Welcome to Jesus Culture, where we discuss Jesus and His Word at the intersection of culture. Today I'll be taking a look at the Minor Prophet in a series we're entitling The Good News About Injustice. We'll be looking at the issue of justice um, from the book of Amos. And today, particularly asking the question, why is the Bible so judgmental? Um, this is not a comprehensive study of Amos. It's kind of a loose survey. Uh, we will definitely have episodes in the future. We have uh, more in-depth Bible studies um, or taking a look in-depth at some theological topics. So stay with us as we try um, to answer that question. where we discuss Jesus and his word at the intersection of culture. In this episode, we are looking into the Old Testament book of Amos uh, and asking the question, why is the Bible so judgmental? Um, justice seems to be the buzzword these days, I think. Um, I want to take a look at what the Bible says about justice, and uh, the prophets are a great place to start since they speak about justice quite a bit. So I'm going to basically answer five questions in regard to this first chapter. Um, and uh, then give six important truths, I believe, to remember uh, from this chapter one in this particular question. Question number one is why name the series The Good News About Injustice? Um, well, I'll tell you the truth, I stole the title from a great book uh, by Gary Haugen with the same title. Um, I highly recommend the book. It is, it is an excellent book on the subject of justice. It's, it's free of the politics that are surrounding it to this day because it was written in the 90s. And it's just great for every believer, particularly, to read um, about um, the issues of justice um, in God's Word. Um, injustice, of course, is never good news, but when God judges, though, it's different. He promises redemption. And we're going to see that name. As we go through this, this, this series, we'll see that's a reality. Uh, human justice is, is never fully just and doesn't really know re redemption. It's very revengeful. Um, it very much is um, someone that's hurt to gain back something in a way that's vengeful and hurtful and mean and so on. Um, but God's justice always works to make wrongs right, and it works towards and provides redemption in, in a form of reconciliation. Um, there was a lot of judgment in Amos, some harsh judgment in Amos. Um, but Amos also has a beautiful redemptive story when you stick with the story as we will, and uh, you'll see that as we conclude the series um, in a few weeks. So let's take a look at this judgmental God. Well, my thesis is this. God is not judgmental, but perfectly just, and always seeking reconciliation and redemption. Um, the, the question, I guess, is there a time to judge? Is there a time to be, in a sense, judgmental? I think judgmental comes from the idea of uh, sometimes a, a, a kind of a self-righteousness, and I think that's what we think of and um, in this, and, and God certainly is not, but the, the question is, do we have a time to judge? There have been many protests pointing out various injustices in our country. The question is, do they have that right? Are they right? And should injustice anger us? Should we be judgmental at times? Um, God's justice is, is linked to his character. Um, it's not a selfish judgmentalist or self-righteousness. It is based on his character, and his character is, is robust. It is it is very holy and righteous and just and does not let the guilty go unpunished, according to Ezekiel. However, he's also loving and merciful and gracious. 
And that, that is part of who God is. And so his justice and his judgment is born out of his character. So let's take a, issue, a look at the issue of justice from God's character and compare it to some of the movements around us. Um, I want to I play a piece from a song. It's the end piece of a song called Masters of War. It was written by Bob Dylan, I think in the 60s or 70s, in response to the injustice of the uh, Vietnam War. And it was performed again by Eddie Vedder in Pearl Jam in, re in relation to the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, um, particularly Iraq war, um, that he felt was unjust uh, starting in 2003. Um, so let's take a listen. Let's listen to this song. And the words are uh, very profound um, and very pointed. And so let's listen to that and come back and talk about it. And I hope that you die And your death will come soon I'll find your casket In the pale afternoon And I'll watch as your Lord Into your deathbed And I'll stand on your crimson Show that you're dead Well, that was um, that had a lot of justice, a lot of judgment in there. Um, really, when you want to stand over someone's grave to make sure you're dead and to hope they die. I mean, I've I've seen uh, so much of that recently um, in in ways that can be really mean spirited. Um, I remember um, last year in the NBA playoffs, I believe it was, uh, there was a player from Orlando, and I really uh, can't remember his name. He's an African American player from. Orlando, I believe, a second-year player, and he stood against what the the cultural flow was going because of his what he said was his Christian beliefs, and um, it took a lot of boldness to do that. But he blew out his knee the next day, and was out, and he's out for this season too because of it. And um, and a lot of reports, even in sports articles, were saying, "Well, he got what he deserved. And that was karma." Um, that's that's a pretty uh, you know mean way to go about issues of justice and so on. And I've seen so much worse than that. Uh, the bigger question is, um, were, were, were Bob Dylan and Pearl Jam justified in their judgment regarding that song, regarding those wars? Uh, was Black Lives Matter, is Black Lives Matter justified, as we see that on the screen, in what they believe to be injustice? Are they, are, are they justified? Because they're being judgmental, but they're working towards justice. Um, and so when you work into a justice, it's not always judgmental um, because sometimes being judgmental is probably needed. Um, the only real reality here is the fact is we all want justice. We do. Uh, we cry out for justice every day. There's been huge movements like Black Lives Matter and Me Too movement crying out for justice. The question is, and really the reality is we don't want God's justice. And that's the difference. We are the arbiters of truth in what is good and right. When God judges, we don't trust him for that. The only real difference between the Bible using judgment um, as part of justice in the world is the content. What is considered unjust? God's justice is perfect because his knowledge of good and evil is perfect and has the best interests of his creation. He is the creator and therefore he knows the best for us. It's like, a, it's like when you buy a car, you have a, a car manual that the creators created. They made this car manual to tell you how to take care of the car. And one of the things they'll tell you is to change the oil um, every 3,000 or 5,000 miles. 
um, because that's the best for the car. Now you could you could say, well, I know better. I'm not going to do that. Or you can say, I want to I want to save a few dollars. You know, it costs you know fifty, sixty, seventy dollars every time I go in for an oil change, and you can do that. But is it in the best interest of the car? Um, God, this is how God works in the world. Um, he really does work towards um, the best for his creation. Um, and he's also perfect in exacting that justice. He makes no mistakes. And so when we look at some of the transgressions we see in chapter 1 here, I'm not going to go through them all. There's, he judges seven nations before he even gets to Israel. Um, you see with Damascus and Tyre and Gaza and Moab and Edom and so on, he is judging them. And the question is, was that judgment just? Well, let's just look at a couple of the, um, the infractions that he was judging them for. Um, first one is mass murder and genocide. People were going in with clubs and, and clubbing people to death, hundreds and thousands of them, much like you saw in Rwanda in 1994, where seemingly normal people went into a village um, to the Tutsis and, and bludgeoned them to death. That's what we see here. God's judging them for that. In two incidences, we see slavery and selling people off for slaves. Um, again, horrible injustices. Um, fratricide, brothers killing brothers. We also see breaking of peace treaties and starting unwarranted wars for personal gain. So in, in, in reality, those two songs, uh, they, were, they were aiming at justice and being judgmental because they believed those wars were, were unjust. And God also believes in un, that unjust wars or unwarranted wars are, are evil. And, and one of the last things we see, is, and what's horrible, is um, while they were bludgeoning people to death, they were ripping babies from pregnant women, um, a form of horrible abortion, and just destroying their babies by just knifing them and taking the babies out. So we can see that these transgressions were pretty bad. God doesn't judge just for no reason at all. Um, so let, let's take a, a look in Amos and see what God's justice is all about and begin to answer this question, why is the Bible so judgmental? Um, part of that is understanding who Amos was writing to at the time and what he's dealing with. Um, I want to read Amos 1 and 2. He, it says, The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and from Jerusalem. He utters his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel drives up. Now, what we have here, 1 Kings 12 tells us that, um, in, that, that this one-time kingdom, this great kingdom of Israel had split up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Um, what we see is Amos is a, is a sheep herder from really the northern part of the southern kingdom in a place called Tekoa. Um, most of what he has to say is to the northern kingdom here. Um, and on the screen, you can, see the, you can see the pictures. But 1 Kings 12 tells us about this split. It's sort of like, you know... Uh, you know, in the U.S., uh, we have 50 states, but there's some states that always want to secede for one reason or another. And, um, you know, we really have a blue state, red state kind of thing. And, and it's kind of that, except an official split. Um, so that's what's going on at the time. And Israel, the northern kingdom, had become prosperous again. They had dipped quite a bit. Their things weren't going as well. They had lost a lot of territory, but the king had gained a lot of that territory back. And in a sense, he was making Israel great again. Um... Many of the people were prospering as a result of the policies of the king, and, and they, they liked those, 
the, their pro- prosperity. Um, they liked their privileges in that sense. But in doing so, they ignored the poor. Um, this is one of the things Amos is going to confront them with. Um, some of them would sell land to the poor, uh, create high interest rates the poor could not pay, um, and then in a sense foreclose or, or create and throw them into debt slavery. It's called indentured service. There were many slaves at that time that were doing that. They were, um, they were paying off their debts. And then they would deny them proper legal representation. This is what was going on. Um, at that time. And, and, and the other major issue we understand is the Old Testament is, is, is connected to the covenant God made with Israel. We see in Genesis 12, in his covenant he makes with Abraham, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and, kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had made this covenant to bless the earth through Israel. But that was not what was happening. Um, it, you know, instead, they were a stain, an embarrassment to the God who called them out of slavery to be a blessing. Um, this is often the case. Those who once were oppressed become the oppressor. Because an unbiblical justice does not end in redemption. It ends in revenge and hate. Um, as a matter of fact, Israel had their own prophets that spoke positive things to the king, to this nation. Um, and those were false prophets um, in reality. It's not much different from the current American church. We've enjoyed the prosperity of a nation and ignore any injustice that may take these privileges away. Um, and, and, and all too often we have um, preachers that are, in a sense, false prophets. We want to speak about the 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 prosperity of America or about American values and ignore some of the, the issues that we actually have. Leads to question two, which is, who is Amos and why did he write this book? Well, we, as we saw, he's a shepherd from Tekoa. Um, he's one of the 12 minor prophets, and minor does not mean less than. It just means that they wrote less than the major prophets. He's also not a professional prophet. Amos 7, 14, and 15 he says this to Amaziah, he says, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman, a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to the people of Israel. He's kind of a nobody. God uses nobody sometimes. He's also an outsider, and God uses him to speak to power. Um, he says, I'm not a prophet. Well, he is a biblical prophet, but what he's saying is, I'm not a professional prophet. I'm not one that's hired to tell people good things all the time. And I think a lot of times people want sermons around them for preachers to tell them good things, but in reality, there's some gross sins that surround us that sometimes we need to understand, we need to repent from. So the difference between, and I also want to make this point, the difference between the Old Testament office of a prophet and the New Testament gifting of prophecy is different. I believe the Old Testament office of prophet ended. We see a couple of verses here, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It says, God gave the church... Apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. It's a great verse that God has given us that. But what we see in Ephesians 2 is that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So the apostles and the prophets, and of course Christ being the cornerstone, is the foundation of the church, and it's being built. So I think even that Ephesians 4 verse 
the profit there is either something that is no longer um, needed or um, it's a, it's it, what we see later on in Paul's writings is the gift of prophecy. It's sort of um, um, it's the, the ability to speak prophetic utterances to the church, um, but it's not exactly the same as a, the office of a prophet um, at all. Um, so that leads to question three. Who are the primary players in the first two verses? Excuse me. Who are the primary players in the first two verses? Well, the first player is Uzziah. Um, he's a decent king. We see in 2 Chronicles 26, 4 through 6, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's really key. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, so he was basically a good king. Um, Amos doesn't say much to him. He's the king of the, the, the southern um, portion in Judah. Um, and he also had done a lot of really good things for his people. Um, but like many who have had success in ministerial life, um, they started to believe, and he started to believe his press clippings, sort of, um, and to think more highly of themselves than he should have. Uh, we too often take credit for God and his providence has accomplished through us because what we see later on in verse 16, even though he was, he basically was right in the Lord's eyes, when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. Um, I think that's so true of many of us. We, we think that our success is really just about us, our programs, our ways of doing things, or my church is great because I'm a great preacher, or whatever it is. Um, and we become proud. And even though our heart might be right with God, when we have success, when we become strong, sometimes our heart becomes proud. The second player is Jeroboam. He is not a good guy. 2 Kings 14.24 says that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, his father Jeroboam I, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. This is Jeroboam too. And again, he had restored much of what Israel had taken back, um, restored what Israel had lost, excuse me, and uh, was truly making Israel great again. Um, they had become more prosperous, um, but he did not depart from the sins, the sins of his forefather, Jeroboam I, and who led Israel away from worshiping God in Jerusalem and led them towards pagan gods. Question number four why did Amos start by saying he was speaking to Israel and then open up with seven other nations? This is a good question because what you see is the first chapter is all about the other nations. He says he's going to speak to Israel and uh, Judah in, in, in the first two verses, but then he talks about these other nations and, and their sins and we, we, as we looked at some of those sins. I think there's a couple of reasons. First, um, what we see is the, the other nations that he shows surrounds Israel in if you are watching this on YouTube, um, you, you, I have a map up, and you, you really see the reality that, you know, as he moves to, to different places, Damascus up in the, the north, um, northeast, um, down to Gaza in the southwest, and then up to Tyre in the northwest, and then down um, to Edom in the southeast. And, and then as he fills this in, you begin to realize that he's encircling Israel. And, and this is 
more than a rhetorical device, this is really true, but he's putting it in a poetic way, in a way that's, that really zeroes in ultimately on Israel as his target. And I started thinking about that, like, why would he do that? Well, it's a reminder that he's speaking and zeroing in on Israel um, because in many ways they feel that they're the chosen ones. In uh, in 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 that sense, blessed by God. That happens all the time. Since prosperity is happening, we're being blessed by God. But that is not what's happening. God is judging them in their prosperity. They're looking at the outside nations and going, look how evil those nations are. But we're pretty darn good. Um, and the reality of it is, nationalism breeds the notion that insiders are good while outsiders are evil. And I see this in all kinds of groups, including, unfortunately, the church. Whatever is outside, those are the evil people. But we're the good people. And that's true of every organization. These justice organizations. We're the good people. They're the evil people. And they don't see the need for their own repentance and the issues of their own sin. And I think God is showing them in this rhetorical way that these nations surround you. And yes, I'm judging them. Yes, they are wicked. But you're worse. I'm coming after you. God tends to judge his people harder because he expects much more. That's the people he's covenanted with. God's covenanted with his people. He's covenanted with the church. Um, and so for the church to look outside and saying, this country is getting way worse because of the evil people surrounding us, I think God's saying, no, it's getting worse because of you guys. A second reason I think he did this, um, possible reason, is the injustices they were committing were ashamed of God and Israel called them out of their own injustice. Um, God called Israel out of slavery. Uh, the Exodus story is an incredible story that, that many oppressed groups have latched onto. He's called them out of that to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to the nations. But they had not only failed to be a blessing, they had become enemies. They become hated. Um, they, were, they were not the blessing God wanted them to be to the communities around them. And this is true of the church sometimes, not all the time. But the church is called to be a blessing. We're called to be, we're blessed to be a blessing. Um, and sometimes we fail to do that. That's unfortunate. Question number five then is, what are the transgressions Amos emphasized um, and what are their, their significance? So what are the transgressions and what are their significance? Well, um, what we see clearly is the two major sins we see in the prophets. Now, there are other sins, but idolatry and injustice. And, of course, idolatry is spelled wrong. That's great. So if you're watching on screen, sorry about that. Um, these are the two major sins, and I believe they're interconnected sins for a reason. Um, first of all, idolatry is more than the worship of a golden calf. The idea of idolatry in the Old Testament was this idea that they'd erect statues to the other gods and worship the pagan gods. But there's many ways to worship um, pagan gods. And not, it has nothing to do with being religious. Um, it has to do with many things. The things we worship, the things we trust for um, our well-being, for our joy, for our happiness. Um, these are all can become easily idols. Um, and so idolatry is more than worship of a golden calf. And Injustice is more than direct action. I think, again, what you see, we're going to see in the book of Amos is some of the people weren't directly oppressing people, but they were very um, safe and secure in their privileges, in their privileges of wealth and so on, and not looking at the injustices around them. This is something that really angered God. And we will see this in Amos. 
that so injustice is more than just direct action is the fact that sometimes it's inaction the bible does talk about sins of commission but also talks about sins of omission also idolatry is linked to injustice i believe pagan worship of the time uh looks within and looks horizontally for their solutions it doesn't look to god in a sense even when it uses the gods of the pagan gods they're manipulated to gain control of their environment um, and many of the pagan gods were themselves very petty manipulative and hateful um, and they were often very nationalistic the gods are very connected to a certain world or certain country and the one thing i, I think that's misunderstood and skeptics use it all the time is you know all religion is based on culture well, that's that has some truth and it has some untruth the fact is god was clear in his word to bless the nations it wasn't about just israel it was what who he was using to bless the nations and as we see with amos god uses the sometimes the weak to speak to power the weak to to bless others and that's what he did with israel um that they had become very nationalistic the very thing god was upset with israel and i, and I fear that's true um becoming more true in the american church a lot of the the, the rhetoric i see in some of the books um, uh, particularly even some of the, the books that are flying off the shelves now on justice, is talking more about American values in the gospel. Uh, I'm seeing that over and over, and that's, that's a frustration. So what I want to do now is um, look at six truths um, that I think are important. Um, and so let, let's, let's take a look at that, and um, that'll be it for the day. First one, the first principle, the first truth is God chooses simple people and sometimes outsiders to deliver his message to his people. This is interesting. Amos is an outsider. He's from southern um, the, the Judah, southern um, part of Israel. And um, God uses him, a very normal, you know, person. Uh, he's a, a sheep herder. And God can use anybody at any time. That's, that's a beautiful thing about God. He doesn't look for the powerful people, the smartest people, the, the most gifted people. Oftentimes, he, he, he looks to people that he calls to do his job. And, and, and Amos is an outsider. And that's very interesting to me because the church does not do very well with outsiders. As a matter of fact, we, we, we look at them all as you know, sinners and somehow we're better than they are sometimes. Uh, we become judgmental, and that is a problem. Um, but... Sometimes God uses even the pagan. Matter of fact, he used a donkey, right, with Balaam. Um, God uses the outsider to speak power to power. Um, and he speaks power to, um, to churches. Um, and the church doesn't do well. Um, it could be a musician. It could be an artist. It could be um, a politician. But where some of the critique of the church is warranted, and the church does not heed that, um, and that's something that we could learn from Amos here. A second truth here is that God reveals himself to his people. Verse 2 says, the Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem. God speaks to his people. And that's important to understand that God reveals himself because otherwise we can't know God. He's transcendent. He's otherworldly. He's, um, he's, um, he's infinite. He's eternal. Uh, we're none of those things. Um, and yet God breaks into human culture to reveal himself, and it's important to understand. A third truth that's important to understand is God is the grand master of the universe, not humans. Now, what I mean by that is God is the one in control of what's going on in the universe. Um, I was reading an article 
actually from a, a person that I've read and followed. He's a physicist, a theoretical physicist named Michio Kaku. I've read a, one of his books. He's a very interesting writer. Um, I'm intrigued by a lot of his writing. He's definitely not a believer. But he says in this article, he says, when we find the rules that govern the chess game, we then become grandmasters. That's our destiny, I think, as a species. Um, what is he talking about? He's not talking about chess. He's talking about physics. He's talking about the unified theory or the theory of everything. He believes that when we will find that. And that's a theory of how all everything works from, from um, macrophysics to, um, you know, to uh, microphysics. Um, from Newtonian physics to, to uh, quantum physics that seem to be contradictory. How do they work together? He says, when we figure that out, we will become grandmasters. That's our destiny, I think, as a species. Um, and I, I don't really think that's a reality. Um, in, in verse 2, it, it's just a little point uh, that, that is made in this uh, book, and that is this was written two years after the earthquake, the earthquake that Amos had uh, predicted and it come true. And there's a lot of predictions that come true throughout Scripture um, showing that God is really in control of what's going on. And, of course, we realize that God's providentially in control. And we realize that sometimes that leads to further questions about God that we don't understand. Some of those questions I really want to develop um, down the line in a podcast. Um, but God is the one, is the grand master. We aren't. Um, and, and that, that's one of the issues that God had to take apart in, um, um, in, in the Old Testament, um, in the Tower of Babel. Because when man figures things out, it usually goes pretty wrong. And it's very opposite of what the enlightened mind says. The more enlightened we get, the better we get. And um, I'm not sure, sure that's a reality. Um, a fourth truth that's important to understand is God, according to Ezekiel 18.32, does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not judging just to judge. He's not judging um, as, as a petty God. And I know a lot of the judgments, um, you know, we struggle with, um, but, you know, and, but we need to realize that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, which leads to the fifth truth. For sure, some of the judgments in the Old Testament law are strange to us. I want to do a series on these. I will do a series on these, I promise. Some of these things we don't understand. Some of them seem harsh. But I think we need to take into consideration the entire um, culture and the, the, the surroundings of what's going on when we read something like that. Um, do further studies to understand that. As a matter of fact, lex talionis is a, is a concept in the Old Testament. It's a concept actually in, in a lot of ancient law and that's where we hear the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but many people see this as a, as a negative as harsh matter of fact famously uh martin luther king was quoted as something to the effect of um if we live by an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth there'll be many blind toothless people out there and that that's true and i get what he's saying and it and in a human way that's very true because we do not do justice well. But what this lex talionis, or this eye for an eye, actually means in the Old Testament is not a harshness, but actually to, to protect against false imprisonment, to protect against um, a judgment that's harsh. Um, in Hammurabi's Code and, and many of the laws around, we see that if a person steals an apple, they get their, their hand cut off. That is a harsh judgment. 
And the eye, the idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is to make the judgment fit so that justice is truly done. And I think when we see it from that point of view, it's different than the harshness we tend to understand it as. Um, God is there to protect those that have violated um, the law. And lastly and sixthly, the, um, regarding truths, God himself took on the punishment for our transgression. We cannot look at justice without looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament law and punishments were placed on Christ for our behalf. God took on God's wrath. God took on his judgment through his son on the cross of Jesus Christ. We can't forget that because if we do forget that, we, we lose sight of the true justice of God that is placed on his son. So you're free to do what you want, but you're also free to pay the consequences of your choices. Or you can turn to God and trust Christ who reestablishes the covenant relationship we, are, we have with God or what God wants with us. So we can once again enjoy fellowship with God, that reconciliation, that redemption that God is always after in his justice, in his judgment, the glory of a relationship brought back together um, that's healed and that is healed through the cross of Jesus Christ where God places all this judgment of the law on him because now we, we come to Christ not through the law, not through um, a temple, not through religious rites, but through Christ um, who redeemed us, who made us righteous. So we will pick up next week and look more at Amos. I I appreciate you joining us. I pray that you'll join us again um, next week as we continue in the series. God bless and have a great day.